Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Great to be with you guys here today. Didn't Farrell and the team do a great job of leading worship today? Man, I'm so thankful for the way he leads us so well. And uh, he takes risks and thinks out of the box, too, and has us get around and minister and pray. I said it all morning. I'll say it again. I was really close to just tearing up the sermon and saying, let's keep worshiping all day. But then I thought, no, I put in too much work. So (laughs) this is happening. No, just kidding. Um, You know, before we even get started, I wanted to do something. I've done it all weekend. I'm going to do it again now. If you're a female leader in our church, if you're a woman that leads in the ministry here at Risen King, would you just stand to your feet? Sorry, Pastor Lisa and Pastor Ashley. Hannah, why don't you stand? If you lead a growth group, you lead a growth group, you're on the prayer team, you lead in some capacity. I just want to take a moment to recognize and honor these women. I cannot imagine the ministry at Risen King without them. And so I'll let you guys sit down because I know you're tired of standing. I can't imagine it, and, and, um, and I'm so thankful for it, and I know that we're better because of it, and we wouldn't be complete without it. And uh, I think, honestly, we need to do that more often, uh, recognize our leaders and give thanks for them. But specifically this week, um, I saw a video on, online where a pastor went viral for all the wrong reasons. He, he spoke out against women and leadership. And when asked to give advice to one female pastor, prominent female pastor in particular, this Christian leader said, I have two words for her, go home. And he said those words based on only her gender, saying that her her gender disqualified her from leadership. And I was angry, and I wrote a bunch of stuff out on Facebook, and then I hit delete. I know Pastor Mike's proud of me and my wife's proud of me as well for that. And then I thought, you know, I don't want to get into a war of of words, you know, make it an us and them thing. I think the way to fight against that kind of nonsense is to recognize and appreciate the voice that women play in our church. And that's right. And to uh, continue to give them a platform to lead. I'm happy that in a few weeks, my wife will be preaching up here on a Sunday morning as well. And there's so many women. I know there's women that aren't even here today. Um, just to name a few, our children's director downstairs, Ami Martinez, it serves, and uh, Jamel uh, Patterson, that serves in so many ways. Alba Sue is our prayer warrior and prayer coordinator. She is incredible. And uh, Dale leads our Walk by Faith ministry. And there's so many others I could take time to name. So um, we're in our flow series, and I just want to take a quick second to plug the conference that's coming up this weekend. You heard Danny talk about it in the video. Uh, This conference starts Friday night, and it goes then Friday night, Saturday morning, all day Saturday, Saturday night as well. It's going to be an awesome time where we not only hear powerful teaching from Dr. Ron Walborn, but we also have time set aside where we experience his filling. We experience his presence and we ask for filling and we're going to flow in the spirit and flow in his gifts this weekend. I can't encourage you enough 
to do that. If you wanted to even register right now, I would not be mad. You could get out your phone. You could go to risenking.life and then just click on events and register right there. It's going to be an awesome time together this weekend, but make sure you register soon. You don't want to miss it. Pastor Mike is teaching at a retreat out of town, and that's why I'm standing here instead of him. Several weeks ago, um, he and, and Pastor Lisa came to me and said, would you mind preaching on week six of the Flow series? And I said, sure, what's the topic? And they said, worship. <laughs> and so, of course, I jumped at the chance to talk about worship. It's something I kind of like a little bit. If you're new here, you don't know me. I'm usually the, the guy leading worship and Pharaoh led this morning in my place. Um, and he did such a great job. So I have four kids and uh, it's kind of a requirement to be a part of our family that you have to play a sport. <laughs> uh, and so uh, all four of my kids are involved in some sport or activity like that. And they all have different levels of interest and ability. My oldest son, Jack, he's nine and a half. He is uh, just a fanatic. He's a sports fiend. He loves anything to do with sports. I think when he came out of the womb, if I remember it correctly, he had a baseball in his hand. Um, baseball's his favorite, and he's the best at baseball, um, which is great for me because it's my favorite. And uh, so he's really competitive. He plays on a bunch of different teams. He plays on a travel team where they go all around the region. He makes the all-star team usually every summer, and so he plays there. So he's really good. He's got natural ability. He's got the competitiveness thing down where he loves to win. He loves to try hard and do his best. He also has that killer instinct. Some of you guys know what I mean when, you, when I say the killer instinct. You know, he, he just he wants to get in there and get it done, and he's focused, laser-focused, and nothing's going to stop him. He does have a weak spot, which he's allowed to have at nine and a half, right? Uh, he has a weak spot in that if success does not look likely, if it looks like failure is a strong possibility, he tries to remove himself from the situation. So when we're at a game and we're playing a really good team, and there's some great teams in the region, in the tri-state area that we play against, um, that he plays against. I have to remember I'm not part of the team. Um, <laughs> Uh, when he's facing a pitcher that's just great, you know, he's, he's throwing, he's throwing fastballs, blowing everything by the hitter and six guys just struck out in a row. So now it's his turn to get up to bat. He'll come up to me or his mom and say, my stomach hurts. I don't, I don't think I can play. So we, yeah. <laughs> so we caught on pretty quick, you know, um, at first worried and now we're like, no, you're fine. You know, get in there. So this summer, we're at a big tournament down in Englewood, New Jersey, and he's playing against a team from Rutherford, and this team is just phenomenal. They've blown by everybody, and so Jack's team, the Clarkstown Stars, and this Rutherford team are in the championship game, and this pitcher is pitching who Jack's team f faced him two weeks prior to this, and the guy blew by everybody. I think he threw a no-hitter. And so Jack sees that he's on the mound and it's getting close to his turn up to bat. And he comes to me and he goes, Dad, my, my stomach hurts. My stomach hurts. I don't think I can do this. I said, Jack, you know, I looked at him. and I think I did what every good dad would do in that situation. I grabbed him by the shoulders. I looked in his eyes and I lied right to his face. <laughs> I said, Jack, you know, check this out. This guy is the twin brother of the good pitcher. He looks just like him. 
but he's not as good. You'll be fine. It's not him. Trust me. He kind of looks sideways at me for a few seconds and he's like, you're full of crap. You know. I was like, all right, you're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have lied. Abort, abort, new plan. So I gave him, uh, you know, a few of the, of the cliches, you know, you can't give up, you can't quit on your team, you got to dig down deep, you know, just because something's scary doesn't mean you want to run away from it, you, you just got to try your best, and maybe, maybe you'll get a hit. So he, he kind of reluctantly, but he, he showed some resolve, and he went up there, and you know, I was just blown away. He gets up there and swings that bat and hits a ball, a little bloop single right to the outfield, and there's a man on base that came around and scored. He was so excited. And as a parent, I was so thrilled, and it's not just that he got a hit. I've seen him get a lot of hits. I've seen him hit home runs before. But to be so intimidated and be so scared and then to decide to dig his heels in and fight and not give up, that bring me, bring me so much joy. Brought me so much joy and, and delight, and it brought him so much. And, you know, I want to share with you this morning, I think that that has so much to do with us and our assignment that God has given us. How many people know we're going to face some scary situations? <laughs> I know if you're, if you're like me or like my son, your first reaction is, Lord, my stomach doesn't feel so good. <laughs> Can I sit this one out? But there's so many times that God calls us to dig our heels in and fight. So many times throughout Scripture to not give up. We're going to talk about that in the way that we fight. I believe that the way we fight is through our worship and praise. Amen? Yes. You know, I have another son, Gaby. I hope I don't get emotional this time when I share this. I got a little choked up last night. I'll tell you why I'm kind of a, I don't know where I'm going to go with my emotions. I started seminary a couple of weeks ago working towards my Masters of Divinity, and one of my assignments this week, it's actually due tonight at midnight, is um, a grief journal where Dr. Ron Walborn asked us students to get in touch with all of our pain and loss and write about it. <laughs> Thanks for that assignment, Ron. You know, So I've been up and down, and then t uh, just Friday night this week, my little brother got married, so we were with family and sending him off in his new adventure and marriage. And so anyways, I'm like a roller coaster on the inside, so if I get choked up, you know why. So my, my other son, Gaby, plays sports as well. He plays t-ball, and uh, he is the exact opposite of Jack. There's not one competitive bone in his body. He's part of the team just for the social benefits only. He doesn't care what's going on. I don't even think he knows who's winning or losing. Um, all he cares about is having fun. You know, the, his coach is always yelling at him, pay attention, look at the ball. I'm his coach, so that kind of makes sense. Um, he's usually drawing in the dirt or he's talking to kids on the other team, trying to make friends or whatever. And you know what he does half the time, half the game, he spends not looking at the ball, but looking in the stands. And he's looking for his mom or his grandparents or uncle or an aunt or somebody that came to watch him or he's looking at me and he's got a grin from ear to ear. And if you, if you know Gabe, you know that grin. And he just sticks his arm out like this, you know, <laughs> thumbs up. And he's looking for that affirmation. And of course, we all give it right back to him. Good job. I swear this happened this summer. He's looking in the stands, thumbs up. And I'm like, look at the ball, look at the ball. Sure enough, the kid hits the ball, goes right between his legs, right through his legs. And he, he runs over to me, Dad, did you see that? I almost caught it. 
I was like, yep, great job, buddy. Keep it up. You know, Gabe, Gabe finds his rest. He, he finds his strength, his affirmation, his sense of identity in just finding his parents' eyes and locking eyes with them. He doesn't have to strive and, and fight for it. He just rests simply knowing that we're there, that we're cheering him on, that he can find us and he's going to find a smile and another thumbs up right back. And I believe, too, that's a picture of what God is calling us to as his children, to simply rest in his presence. So many times we try to strive and fight when God is calling us to do the opposite. Many times he's calling us to lay down our sword, to not try so hard and to rest in him. Mike gave this great illustration last week. He had a teacup up on here on this table and a tea bag. And he said, some of you that are tea drinkers, you make your tea by dipping the tea in and out of the cup, in and out dip in, dip out. And he said, others of you, you lay the tea bag in the cup and you just let it sit for five or 10 minutes and then you come back to it. Luckily, Mike and myself are not tea drinkers, so we don't care how you make tea. But he made this point that as a church, we're called to not be a people who will dip into the spirit and out, but a church that will dwell in the spirit, that will remain in his presence. And that's really what this message is about this morning. It's about being a people who will dwell and remain in the presence of God. And if we do that, we'll know when we're called to pick up our sword and fight, to dig our heels in, to face that fear and to accomplish what God has for us. And then there'll be other times where we can sense the Spirit's leading to lay the sword down and simply rest in His presence. I think if, if we can get this deep down, that we're called to be a people who dwell, we'll realize that we can fulfill even that command in Galatians 5 to walk in step with the Spirit, or the command all throughout the book of Acts to be continually filled with His presence. Amen? Amen. Amen. Tell somebody next to you you're called to dwell. You know... Um, one of my favorite worship pastors is a lady named Jen Johnson. She's a worship pastor, worship leader out at Bethel Church in California. Her husband is also a worship pastor there, Brian Johnson. And then Brian's dad is Bill Johnson. He's the lead pastor out there. I love that church. Half the songs we sing come out of that church. Um, so they're some of my favorites. And she shared this story about her experience leading worship. She said, I remember one morning um, I was due to be at church to lead worship, and it was a chaotic morning. At that time, they had three kids, and she was trying to get the kids ready for church and in the car, and then they're in the car, and they're fighting and screaming, and one's asking for this song, and the other one's asking for this song. Any parents in here can relate to that? I swear I have to get saved all over again every time I get out of the car with my kids <laughs> demanding different music. Anyways... Um, I'll put that in my grief journal later tonight. Um, so she's, she's dealing with all this chaos. And uh, she's also, I think, still trying to get ready and do her makeup and her hair to go walk into church and lead worship. So she pulls into her parking spot and her father-in-law sitting next to her in the passenger seat. She pulls the mirror down and she says to herself in the mirror, Okay, Jen, it's time to take the mommy hat off and put on the worship hat. 
And her father-in-law, Bill, leaned over to her and real quietly said, the problem is the worship hat should have never come off. She said that hit her right to her core. It changed the way she looked at, his, at her role as, as a worship leader and as a mom. And I think that's a word for you and I today that we are called, you know, too many times we dip in, we put on the presence hat, we put on the worship hat, and then on Monday morning, or sometimes right after we leave the church, we take that off and we think, all right, now we have to put on the dad hat or the mom hat. We have to put on the banker hat or the teacher hat or the accountant hat or, or whatever hat we wear. When the truth is, we're called to keep the worship hat on. We're called to be a people who dwell in his presence and carry that presence everywhere we go. Can I get an amen this morning? I am so convinced that this is going to be life-changing for us as we grasp this. I know for certain it can change the way we parent. It can change the way we lead our families. It can change the way we relate to our spouse, change the way we work and look at our call, our vocational calling. We can accomplish both. You know, we can wear the worship hat and our vocational calling and our family role all at the same time. And that's what we're called to do. Amen? Amen. Turn to somebody again and say, you're called to dwell. So we're going to look at, we're going to look at what lingering in his presence does for us. Um, when we linger in his presence, we develop intimacy with the Father. And anytime we develop intimacy with the Father, anytime we, we invest in that relationship with the Lord, it leads to change. It leads to a changed life. But I do want to submit to you today that there is a right way to worship and a wrong way to worship. That there is a, a, a right way to come into his presence and a wrong way to come into his presence. Amen? So if you would get out your Bible... And uh, if you don't have a Bible like myself, you can just get out your phone and open up your Bible app. That's fully acceptable here. We have Wi-Fi. Um, and we're going to look at Psalm 95, if you want to flip there. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 11. We're going to jump around a little bit and, and just pick a couple of these verses to point out. There's a right way that's prescribed or, or described in this section that I want to look at. And it involves worshiping the Lord with our whole being, with our emotions, our will, and our mind. Not just merely offering up lip service, but submitting fully our whole being to the Lord when we come into his presence. So look, let's look at 95 verse 1 from Psalms. Verse 1, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Let me stop right there. What the psalmist is calling us to in these two verses is to worship the Lord with our emotions. Think about that. Sing, shout, make music. Some of us have this down great. You know, when I'm standing up here leading worship and I see people moving, I see people dancing and shouting and singing and they're into it. I also see some folks that are a little more reserved and that's okay. But I want to encourage you to keep pressing in. Keep going past your comfort zone. Keep going past your limit of what you're comfortable with and keep expressing yourself more and more 
to the Lord. Keep singing and shouting. Just grow in that. I think worship is actually a skill set that we can grow in and develop. Amen? And then let's look at verse 6. It says, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. The psalmist is calling us there to an act of submission, submitting our will to the Father. I love watching old movies, specifically from like the Dark Ages or medieval times. And if you've ever seen some of those movies, when someone comes into the presence of royalty, what's the first thing they do? They bow down, they bend the knee. And this is what the psalmist is talking about because there's no other act that I could think of where it would symbolize and signify that we surrender completely to that which we're bowing to. It's like the ultimate act of submission. And so the psalmist is not just calling us to use our mouth and our emotions to give praise to God, but also to surrender our will, to come into his presence with a bent knee, to bow down and say, Lord, you alone are worthy, and I submit my whole self to you. And he doesn't stop there. There's one other area of our being, one other facet of us, as human beings, that we are called to submit and worship, and it's our mind. In verse 7 of Psalm 95, it says, Today, if only you would hear his voice. And then verse 8 says, Do not harden your hearts. You know, hearing the word of the Lord, listening for his voice, understanding what he's saying, that's a mindful act. It takes a submitted mind. It takes a transformed mind to give God our whole being, our emotions, our will, and our mind. And, and just like I pointed out before, some of us have certain aspects of this down really well. And my, my gut feeling is, if you're like me, maybe one of these you're strong in and one of these you need to continue to grow in and develop in. Amen? And so hear the word of the Lord this morning, not as a condemning thing, but a call to more a call to go deeper with him. And here's what's awesome. I believe that when we worship the Lord like this, like the psalmist is describing here in, in chapter 95, when we do that, it leads to us entering into the presence of God, dwelling there, and then it leads to a changed life. Because when we come in to, in, into an encounter with the king, an encounter with our heavenly father, it always leads to a changed life. It changes what we see, how we see it, and even what we seek. It changes everything about us. I love that Pastor Mike and Pastor Lisa and Danny as well, they've set up this series, this flow series, and they've talked, of course, a lot about the filling of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit and flowing in that. But they've been so intentional about making sure that we don't keep that for ourselves, but that we become outward focused. Farrell put that on full display this morning as he led us in worship. And then he called us as a church to go around and pray for people. Wasn't that awesome? I love seeing that the church being the church, laying hands on one another, praying for each other. The time with God and intimacy with God is always going to lead to an outward focus. We are blessed to be a blessing. Would you say that? We're blessed to be a blessing. I don't want to be like the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, like it's, you know, the, the name kind of makes it obvious, but no life can exist in the Dead Sea because the salt content is so high. But the reason why the salt content is so high is because it has an inlet. The Dead Sea has an inlet. It gets filled, but it has no outlet. 
There's no place for it to go. There's no outlet from the Dead Sea, and that's why no life can exist there. I do not want to be like the Dead Sea. I don't want to be filled up just for my own good and then never share that with others. I don't want to rob others of the blessing that God wants them to experience. And that's why he's filling us up. It's always got to lead to a changed life and an outward focus. Amen. Tell somebody, don't be like the Dead Sea. <laughs> the, other, uh, the other little thing I just slipped in there was you got to cut back on your salt because the Dead Sea is so salty. We're really telling somebody to lower their salt intake. All right. Corny joke number one. So this, this next section that we're going to dive into is just a, such a clear picture from the Old Testament of um, what it means to be a people who dwell and who don't dip in and out, but a people of his presence that carry his presence everywhere. It's taken from Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20, and uh, I'll apologize for this like I have in all the services, but maybe I don't need to. This has become a life story for me. You know how there's some verses that just jump off the page at you and you carry them forever? That's what this story has become for me. And because it's been one of my life stories, I've preached it like a hundred times. <laughs> and because I've been at Risen King for 12 years almost, that means you've probably heard me preach from this text before. So my apologies if you have. I did check the podcast because I didn't want to preach something that I just preached like a few months ago. And we're good. I preached this last a year and a half ago, and I think the rule is you can only do it once a year, so I'm safe. You know, in that, ser in that sermon a year and a half ago, I, I took 20 minutes to go through this story. Today, we're just going to take two or three minutes. Um, king Jehoshaphat is the king of God's people, and that's his assignment. He's operating in his God-given assignment and his vocational calling, and then an obstacle comes. A crisis comes, and he gets word from a messenger that there's not one, not two, but three enemy armies that have decided to join together and attack his land and his kingdom. Not a good day for a king when you get that kind of news. And what, why I want to look at this is he has given us a model for how we are to react when a crisis comes how we are to react when any kind of obstacle comes as, we'll, as we're fulfilling our assignment. The king does not ready the men. He doesn't panic. He doesn't freak out at all. He actually calls the people together in an assembly, and he declares a time of fasting and praying. That's what he does first. This is his first response. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. Then he humbles himself. He bows down to the Lord. You know, all these people are looking at him and he bends the knee to his God, an act of worship, an act of submission. And then he prays this phrase, which has stuck with me since the first time I heard it, the first time I read it. He prays this at the end of a long prayer where he's just asking the Lord for help and he's recounting the faithfulness of God. He says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I'm telling you, if we could get that down in our spirit so that any time we're faced with an obstacle, that's our first response, wow, what could we accomplish for the kingdom? How much time could we save ourselves from fighting the wrong battle? I'm convinced that if we're a people who dwell in his presence, we will be so filled with his spirit that when he leans left, 
we immediately go left. And when he leans right, we can go right. It's going to save us from fighting battles that we were never called to fight. King Jehoshaphat could have done that. He could have picked up, picked up the sword and said, let's go. Let's go into battle. But he stopped. He, he fasted and prayed. He sought the Lord. He submitted to God. He worshiped him. And he said, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. In that moment, one of the priests in the assembly stood up and said, I've got a word from the Lord. And he stood up and shared this word. And it was a, it's a great word. When you have time, go back to Second Chronicles chapter 20 and read this whole story. It's awesome. But within that word, he says this word from the Lord was to these people, you'll go out tomorrow to the battlefield, but you won't have to fight. I will fight for you. And the victory is mine. Isn't that awesome? And so King Jehoshaphat hears the word of the Lord, which is so important to create an atmosphere where you can hear from God. See, if, if we're just dipping in and out instead of dwelling, we're not even going to be able to hear the voice of the Lord. So when he tells us to do this or do that, it's going to be really hard for us to hear him. But when we become a people of his presence, we can hear him so clearly and so easily. So King Jehoshaphat hears the word of the Lord and he sends the worshipers out front. He says, we're going to worship our way to the battlefield. This is where I stop every time and thank the Lord that I was not born about 3,000 years ago because I would have been a worship leader on the front lines of that battle. Guys, that's supposed to be a lot funnier than that. I mean, can you imagine? I would have been like, so there's like no horses in front of us. There's like nobody going out. It's just me and my guitar. Are you sure that you heard from God? Just want to be certain before I walk out like that. So they send the worshipers out. And, and you know, in verse 22, it says this in that chapter. It says, when they started to sing, something changed. When they started to sing. And you know what the song is that they sang? Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. And they sang that and declared that over and over as they marched out to the place where God told them to go. It says, when they started to sing that, the three enemy armies who had gathered to attack the people of God turned on each other and started fighting each other. And they eventually just annihilated one another so that when Jehoshaphat and his people reached the point where God told them to go and look out at the battlefield, they looked, at, looked out and they saw complete annihilation of their enemy and they never picked up a sword. They saw complete victory and never picked up one sword. They worshiped their way to breakthrough. I'm convinced that what we do with our praise and our worship, what we do with our mouth, with our heart, with our mind, our will, our emotions, it releases the breakthrough of the Lord. That's when we're going to see victory in areas of our life. Amen? Amen. This is how we see a victory. Man. Thank you, Lord. I just, I feel in my spirit that there's people in here going through a crisis. And I hear just the Father's heart calling to your heart just to offer up that humble prayer like Jehoshaphat did and say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. To choose in the midst of crisis, as, as, I just, I see this picture of them marching out 
And in, in the natural realm, they were marching out to almost certain defeat. But they're, yet they're singing, give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we welcome your breakthrough this morning. Somebody say amen. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. We're called to be a people who dwell, who don't dip in and out. And, uh, and I just want to look at really how we are to come into his presence and how we are to approach his presence. If you want to turn there, you can. Psalm 24, we're going to look at in a minute. In Romans 12, Paul encourages us as the early, he encouraged the early church, he encourages us as the church to offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. It's really just another way or a new way to say what Psalm 95 said, which was surrender your, your will, your emotions, and your mind. Paul's saying, offer up your whole body. And then in Psalm 24, the question is asked, more or less, how do we worship? And this is what it says in Psalm 24. If you turn there with me, I'm starting at verse 3. It says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And the hill of the Lord represents the place where we worship. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. The question is asked and then answered, who can worship the Lord? And in those days, they had to ascend the hill of the Lord. This is where they went to worship and praise. This is where they went to enter into his presence. And the psalmist answers his own question, only those with clean hands and a pure heart. I believe with all my heart this morning that God is calling us as a church to do the hard work of examining our lives, examining our heart, examining ourselves completely, and offering up to him clean hands and a pure heart. Now the truth is, none of us have that. <laughs> none of us have clean hands and a pure heart. Not one of us in here. And I'm throwing myself right into that group. But because of Jesus... We are the righteousness of Christ because he made a way when there was no way. I'm going to call Mason up to the piano if he's in here because uh, we're going to close. I know that might be a little shocking to some. I'm not quite as long uh, with my sermon as Pastor Mike. So it's a little bit shorter. Poor Mason's used to coming up in about 20 minutes or so. <laughs> I'm a little bit quicker. So we're going to close with this idea and this thought that you know, um, in Second Chronicles chapter 29, Hezekiah is now king. So this is after Jehoshaphat. He's king of God's people, and he's tasked with tearing down false gods and idols that his people had turned to, that his ancestors had started to worship. He, he's given the task to tear those down, cleanse the temple, and then reestablish or restore true worship of the one true God. And if you have time this week, I know it's the second story. I'm asking you to go back and read chapter 20 and now 29, but do it if you have time. It's amazing the detail he had to go through to cleanse the temple. This is according to the law. Thank God we don't have to do this anymore. The many sacrifices they had to offer, the burnt offerings, the, the blood that they had to shed 
the sacrifice of animals, eight days of fasting, and then eight days of praying, and then this amount of this and this amount of that. They had to go through all these steps to make sure that the offering that they were giving to God was one of clean hands and a pure heart. You know that we have a great high priest that when he died on the cross in Matthew 27, when he offered his spirit up to heaven, at that moment, the veil and the temple was torn from top to bottom. That veil that used to separate us from God was torn in two. No longer do we have to shed any more blood because he made atonement for our sins so that we could access his presence. We don't have to dip in and dip out. I'd even say, you know, this convicts me, how dare we dip in and dip out when he's gone through such great lengths to make sure that we can dwell and remain. Amen? And I don't say that to be condemning. I believe it's because the Father's heart is calling us to a life of dwelling in his presence. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to take one minute, and if you, if you don't mind, just close your eyes. You can even put your hands out in a posture of receiving. We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us about the places in our heart that, that we need to give up to God. I know for certain in my own life, and my own heart, there's things and people and, and different things that I've placed in the place that only God should have. And that's the definition of idolatry. It's where we elevate something to a place that only God should have. And these can be good things. Oftentimes they are. It's, it's a family. It's a relationship. It's a job. It's a bank account or a retirement plan. We want these things. And oftentimes we want them so that our family can be blessed or those around us can be blessed. So these could be good things, but if they are taking the place that only God deserves to be in, then we've made them an idol. And the call to us this morning is to tear down idols. So Lord, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and reveal places in our heart that we need to submit, idols that we need to tear down, and bring your atoning work, the atoning work of Christ Jesus our Lord. He made a way. God, you made a way for us. Would you come and cleanse our hearts? Purify us, God. And we're just going to sit and wait for a moment as he speaks to us. clean hands give us pure hearts let us not lift our souls to another and give us clean hands give us pure hearts let us not lift our souls to another and oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. And oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, 
that seeks your face, O God of Jacob. So give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to... Come on, let's sing it one more time. And give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to, oh God, let us be. No, God, let us be a generation that seeks, who seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. And oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. And I want to share this last thing with you with your eyes closed. I don't think anybody understood this better than David. David was king of God's people, he had a big assignment, a huge assignment. But he offered up this prayer in the Psalms. He said, this one thing I ask, just one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And yet he accomplished so much. He understood this principle. It seems like a, a paradox, but you can be two places at once. You can dwell and still fulfill your assignment. In fact, you have to dwell if you're going to fulfill your assignment. Lord, we choose to be a people of your presence. We no longer want to dip in and dip out, but we want to remain in your spirit and in your presence. We refuse to take off the presence hat or the worship hat. We leave that on as we go out into the world, as we go out and lead our families, as we fulfill the assignment that you have for us. Would you just say this, Lord, I want to dwell with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise this morning together. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. As always, the front's always open if you want some prayer or just a time alone with God. But thank you. Have a great week. God bless.